Welcome to the audio podcast for the main service of Northridge Church. Our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and challenges you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for today. Good morning, Northridge. Welcome today. Thank you for being here. Uh, Growing up, oftentimes when we'd be reluctant to do something or give something, my dad would say, like, let's say um, somebody wanted to borrow our car and be like, no, that's too risky or whatever. He'd be like, it's God's car or it's God's house. It's God's money. It's not our money. And it's always like, oh, whatever, dad, sure. (laughs) But there's a lot of truth to that. And um, how would that change the way we give? How would that change the way we spend our money when we recognize that it's God's money or God's house or God's car or our kids are God's? They belong to God and not us. And uh, that verse of God loves a cheerful giver, I haven't shared that verse before because I don't always understand it because Sometimes obedience is hard, and we don't feel good about it. It can be hard to, you've earned all this money that you've worked hard for. It's hard to give that, and doesn't feel very cheerful. Or if God's asking us to forgive, that's hard sometimes. And sometimes there is a step of walking in obedience where it doesn't necessarily feel right. But I think there is this hand-holding, and that's the ideal situation of this walking in obedience and doing what is good and what is right, but then also the heart and having a sincere heart. Romans 12 talks about love must be sincere. And so getting our heart in the good position of wanting to forgive others, God, Jesus forgave us. And so when we have that position of gratitude and being thankful for what he's done with us already, then it's easier and we can have more of a cheerful way of doing things. So I see that a lot in forgiveness is Jesus forgave us. So why can't I forgive another child of God? Or God has given us this job or these resources, this car. Why can't I use it to serve his kingdom? And when we have that mindset of this is God's and this is for his kingdom, then we can give and give our time, our resources, our energy with a cheerful heart. So that's my, <laughs> my lesson preaching to myself. Um, but it does shift our perspective when we can have gratitude for what he has already done for us. Uh, let's pray. God, we thank you that you, you do bless us when we give. And that's usually and always all, often the case that we feel blessed. And we thank you for that, God. And we, we want to honor you in everything we do. We want to put you on the throne. And you are king. And I pray that you reposition our hearts to put you there instead of ourselves, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Speaking of giving, uh, ushers can come forward and we're going to give our tithes and offerings. If you want to give, you can give in the offering plates or you can give online at donations at nrchurch.ca. It's just another way we worship God. Um, with announcements, there is a lot of giving announcements because today, if you haven't heard for the last few weeks, is Giving Sunday. And we are just hoping this is an opportunity to give to our kids going to camp. Uh, we want to see as many kids there as possible. So this is our opportunity to give to that, to send them to go to camp. There's a few ways of doing that. First of all, it's through giving like now. 
And in conjunction with that, conjunction isn't normally a word I would use, but that was in David's notes. <laughs> uh, with that, um, <laughs> uh, there's a silent auction. I don't know if you saw all those really amazing things as you walked in. It's closed right now, so don't excuse yourself to go to the washroom. It's closed. And so after the service, you have 15 or 20 minutes to 15. Gord told me 20. Okay, 15 minutes, get your bid in. Uh, there's a lot of really great things out there. So give generously. This, uh, the, this is about um, the kids going to camp. Uh, so yeah, 15 minutes, and then it's closed, and they will announce a winner. Uh, and then uh, also, for if you are 55 or plus, do you want to raise your hands? Is that a, a thing to be proud of? I don't know. Um, it is a thing to be proud of today because you get lunch. And so I, there is really, really good soup and sandwiches, I believe, right, after the service. And if you are 55 and over, you are all welcome to join them. It looks delicious. So you are invited to that. And then also this Wednesday, it's Kids' Night Out. You can find out more information online, and it's helpful to register your kids ahead of time. So this is the opportunity for kids to have a blast and parents to also have the night out. So uh, take advantage of that. Let's, uh, let's pray one more time, and then we'll dismiss our kids. God, we love you. We honor you. We pray that any kid, any youth that are wanting to go to camp or are thinking about it, I pray that you make the way, God. And I pray that you give the opportunity for these kids to learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, you are dismissed. Uh, just kidding. Kids, you're not dismissed. Uh, and Carissa modeled beautifully. No, I, that was perfect, though. You did great. Um, I'm just changing the script a bit. Um, couple of things. I wanted to kind of build on what you just said. With this whole Giving Sunday, I want to give you, peel back a little bit more of a vision for what we are hoping for this year, where we miss the mark a bit, and what we're going to do in future years. Um, mark this time of year as our one time of the year where we're going to focus and do a, we're going to call it our Giving Sunday. This is going to become part of our Northridge calendar, okay? And so, Things are probably going to go quiet on the asking for money front for 12 months. But this time next year, you can start socking away some money already if you want. Uh, we'll be doing a call again for the same purpose. We're going, to, we're going to really work hard to get our kids to camp. So next year, what we hope it'll look like is everything will fall on one weekend. Uh, the Saturday will be a bit more of an event where we might have a silent auction, where we might serve food, and it'll be more of an event that can bring us all together Again, an opportunity to raise funds for camp. And then Sunday will be the day where you can just dig into your pockets and, and give. So that's the vision for what we want to do. We want to be a little bit more um, intentional about our calendar and our giving. And so I want you to get, hopefully this is enough heads up for 2024 uh, in June where you can give then. Uh, the reason we ask the kids to stay in here is because we're going to continue on with our, our, our prayer. <clears throat> and we're praying for the kids and for camps today. And I just want to remind you of why we're doing this. I was challenged by a fellow in our local ministerial who talked about how we often have the pastor praying with or for the congregation or for the community, but we don't often enough activate the saints. We've got a room full of prayers. And if you don't think you are a prayer, I'm telling you, put your hand up, I'll tell you to your face, you're wrong. You are called to prayer, and we are going into prayer right now. We're going to pray for our kids and youth camps coming up this August. Um, 
And I want to encourage you to stand where you're at, speak, pray loudly so we can all hear you. And uh, let's bless our kids. If you've got one of your kids' hand like close by, or a kid that you're related to or know well enough that you can lay hands on and bless them, let's do that as well. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father. We pray for such a deep and authentic connection with the Holy Spirit, that this be something that, that becomes palpable and memorable in their lives. There be this Ebenezer moment where they, they have this to, to look back on, and it will sustain them as they go back into their schools and back into their day-to-day. Uh, this will be a touch point, a milestone, a memory that they can always look back on. And remember that time, that moment where they felt your presence. And Lord, we pray that it would linger, that it wouldn't be a, a one-off, a camp experience, or that become a part of a daily walk with you. Bless our kids, bless our leaders going to serve, and bless us as we go into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you're dismissed. So good job. We won't, we won't change our minds again. Look at how quick <laughs> Declan's going to win the race. Um, good job. All right. Well, we've prayed for camps. That's the first item on my, like, 14 pages of things. That's good. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but our family was away. And um, there's, there's a good chunk of us that are North Ridges that are all related to my in-laws who are celebrating their, we were celebrating their 50th in their 52nd year. No, I guess, yeah, almost their 52nd anniversary. And so we've been away. And for me, one of the fun things about this is that while we were gone, over the two Sundays we were gone, uh, across the weekends we had five different people preach and five completely different worship teams over the weekends. So between Saturday Night Life, Sunday mornings, and uh, the Spanish service in the afternoon, we had five different groups. And uh, I know you were blessed to have Pastor Les and Pastor Rob preach over the last two weeks. Um, I've been listening to the, the messages, and both of them took me back. How many of you have, have roots at Life Center in Coquitlam? Yeah, it took me back to actually, I could picture Dad singing the harmonies. Um, for, for Pastor Les, um, the, you actually referred to the song that, uh, I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumph. And what, I don't know if you mentioned that we would usually sing it in a round. It got pretty rowdy, I'll tell you. And, uh, and it, was, it was this one-upmanship of who's going to sing it louder. It was almost this competitive singing. And uh, I remember that. And then I can't remember what the song was you, you referred to. And it took me again to another Life Center worship song. Uh, shoot, I can't. I should have written down the title. But it, those are kind of my... My highlights from, from listening to both, it was like comfort food listening to them. So it's, it's fun for me to not worry about you at all, know that you're in really good hands. And then to top it all off, I came back to a new dishwasher here at the building. Uh, and it just happened miraculously. I didn't have to lift a finger. I didn't have to make a phone call. So thank you, Jen. I heard Steve, you had some work in that as well. Good job. Thank you very much. Uh, coming back, it's been busy already, uh, and, but it's good. I've, I stored up some some energy in the tank. Uh, I, uh, as, you, as you see, I spend a lot of time in the sun, so I came back with a tan and the sniffles, which I'm starting to enjoy a little bit because my voice is awesome. Um, and, and I was telling people last night that I'm not a fan of my voice, but I can, I can hit some low notes. And so I might be really dramatic today and uh, go hit some of those low notes. But yeah, um, spent a lot of time doing a whole lot of nothing. 
but then hit the ground running when we got back. We did some baptisms on Saturday morning. In fact, we have a picture. I don't know how well labeled that is, Joshua, but there's a picture there. It's a bunch of numbers, I think, is, is, the, is the image. This, you're going to see Christy and Denise. And Christy and Denise are at Hope for Freedom Society's house in Mission called Glory House. And I had literally never met either of them before. Denise started messaging me um, probably about a month ago. And she had this plan, and then Christy tagged in, and she became a part of this plan. And, um, and so we made the plan to meet Saturday morning, and this is Norrish Creek in the background. And it's out beyond Hatsik, and it was a beautiful, serene place. There's a railroad track over top of us, which doesn't sound very serene, but no trains went over as, as we were doing it. Both of them were so eloquent, explaining the difference that Jesus has made in their lives. Both of them are coming out of active addiction, but they, they have hope. And it was just so clear, the hope that they have now in Jesus. And this baptism, was just, it just seemed so clear what they were doing. And speaking of clear, the water was very clear. It was also freezing. It was unbelievable. I was actually talking to Patrick this morning who had uh, quite a, you got to talk to him about his story, being in the Fraser River unconscious for 40 minutes. I was in this river for about 40 seconds and almost lost my life. It was, um, it was very cold. Denise on the right probably could have gone for a swim. She is the, one of the toughest ladies I've ever met. Uh, Christy just about cried. We almost couldn't baptize her, but she toughed out and got to it. So we did some baptism Saturday morning, preached Saturday night last night, and now here we are this morning, and so we're back in the thick of things, and I'm excited to jump into, I'm going to give focus to chapter 24 of Exodus today, which, as you know, like, Les kind of talked about this learning to, well, this is the theme, I, I'm such a bad student, when I hear people talk, when I go to a workshop and stuff, sometimes I get something completely different. So the theme that I really pulled out of what Les was teaching was this learning to trust God over and over. Obviously, they had this, this great reason to trust. They've just walked through the sea to safety and so they've got this very tangible reason, this thing to look back on and have a reason to trust this God who is leading them. But as Les was teaching, he showed over and over these different signs that God is worthy of our trust. And that led up to uh, Rob teaching on the Ten Commandments. And, and really, the Ten Commandments is kind of the, the marquee. If, if, this was a, if this was a show, this sermon series, the, the Ten Commandments would really probably steal the, the headlines. And Rob did a really good job of connecting those to Jesus' affirmation of the law. And, and that it was so much more than just this to-do list. It was something that would help us in our relationship with the Father and with others. So that brings us, uh, technically today I'm teaching from chapters 23 to 25, and I'll allude to 23 and I'll, I'll allude to 25. In 23, we get this beautiful promise. I don't have the text up here, but uh, we get this beautiful promise where God spells out how he is going to take the children of Israel into this land that has been promised to them. And he spells it out very clearly. But then there's this confirmation of the covenant in chapter 24, which is another picture of just really deep connection between God and his people. There's, you know what, 
a lot of times we're, we go through, um, through Israelite history or, or our, our narrative of our history, and there's some really difficult times that the people are going through. Today's kind of a fuzzy, warm, feel-good uh, day of, of, of Scripture reading. So let's, let's get into it. This is chapter 24, verse 1, and it goes like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. So it starts with his invitation. Before this, God was speaking to Moses alone. And this is sometimes a, a, a hard-to-understand concept, the concept of God speaking through a prophet. And the reason it can be difficult for us in 2023 to understand this is because today we have the opportunity, when we believe, when we are children of God, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We don't need God to play telephone where he speaks to Ryan so that Ryan can talk to us. He can speak to all of us individually today. So sometimes it's, it's difficult to understand the employment of a prophet in this day and age. This is the time before Jesus, before he, he tore the veil and gave us access to the Father, before the Holy Spirit came and, and became a part of our lives. And so pre, prior to this, God would speak to Moses alone. Now there was this gathering up of a, of a group, a select group of people. We've got some specific priests and then 70 elders who were called into actually a, a little bit deeper level of intimacy. Prior to this, God spoke to Moses and the Moses, Moses spoke to a nation. Um, I, I love this part here. It says here, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. When the people heard the law of God, they responded with complete agreement. This is one of those uh, really warm and fuzzy, like everybody's on board type moments. I love to, this is a bit of a tangent, but I love uh, the obviousness of the book of Judges. I know this is a real tangent, but I just kind of got this memory again. And in the book of Judges, you see this cycle where everything is going great for the people of Israel. And it's getting so good that they kind of get comfortable. And in their comfort, they get lazy. And in their laziness, they start to kind of branch out. They're starting to worship other gods. They're, they're starting to just kind of do their own thing. They're, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And that kind of weakens their security, their safety network under God. And inevitably, historically, we see another nation comes in, takes them over, enslaves them, and they are just brutalized as a nation until they finally remember, oh, right, God. We could cry out to God. And they do cry out to God. God sends a judge to come and save them, and everything's great again. And it's this beautiful, warm, fuzzy, kumbaya, we love God moment until they start to get comfortable, and then they start to get lazy, 
and then they start to worship other gods. They're enslaved, and then they're like, oh, no, this is terrible. We should cry out to God, and it comes back up again, and God saves them, and everything's great, and you, you see where I'm going with this, right? And this is one of those moments where Israel, everything's just, they are on board. They don't need any convincing. They are ready to go. Let's carry on in verse 4. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls. The other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And again, I love the attitude of the people. They are fresh out of crossing the Red Sea and seeing their enemies decimated. Um, they've, they've seen the bitter water turn sweet and, and, and drinkable. They've been provided for with manna. They are, they are fresh in the memories of God's provision for them. And even the, the drama behind the deliverance of the, of the Ten Commandments, it's just so obviously a God thing. They are on board. They are cool with following God. They will obey everything that He has to say. But it's interesting, this section here from 4 to 8, uh, there's this clear to-do list that Israel is called to do. And the first of which is everything needed to be written down. So that was the first thing that Moses was called to do is write it down. Now, God had spoken to Moses before. We, we, we've seen this throughout Exodus already. We, this encounter with the burning bush. He's had lots of encounters with God. He's heard from God before. But this was different. And it needed to be written down. And this is the word that we have today. What was written down. So that's the first thing. It had to be written down. Second, and this was really interesting. This is something I drew out of a, a commentary. Covenant was only made in the context of sacrifice. So this covenant agreement between God and his people and people and their God, it could really only be consummated in the context of sacrifice. Something had to be given up to, to really give weight and gravitas to what has happened here. Sacrifice also, it admits our own sin. It acknowledges the fact that a price needed to be paid for this all to happen. It's also, uh, excuse me, it it's also demonstrates our failing before God, and it addresses that need through the death as a substitute. So the death of, uh, of something else. All right, the third thing. The covenant was made when God's word was both heard and responded to. It was not enough to be a hearer of the word. They needed to become doers of the word. There needed to be a response. Now, our covenant with God is based on his words and his terms. 
not, not our words and our terms. It's not based on how we want to interpret this agreement with God. So that's the third thing. And then finally, the fourth thing is like this. Covenant was made with the application of blood. As the nation, nation received the blood of the covenant, the covenant was sealed. And there's a really good quote here from, from Cole. Uh, if we can put that up here. It says, actually, I've got two quotes. I don't usually do this, but back to back. Blood ritual of some kind is common to most forms of covenant. Witness the custom in many lands of making blood brothers by allowing the blood from two persons to mingle and flow together in one. As a kid raised in the 70s, this was a thing. Uh, I had very good friends. We would become blood brothers where we would cut ourselves and we would mix our blood together. And it's just disgusting when I think about it now, but it was just the thing to do. We were really, yeah, we were, we were all in. And so we were blood brothers. I don't know where they live today, but uh, we we're, yeah, were blood brothers. We share genes now, I guess. Uh, next quote is from this guy named Clark. It says, half the blood being sprinkled on the altar and half it sprinkled on the people, showed that both God and they were mutually bound by this covenant. Now, God didn't have to sign his name to the promise, to the covenant for and with his people. But he's, he's done it here. By sprinkling it both on the altar and on the people, there's this demonstration that, yes, we, the people of Israel... We, your children, are, we are in agreement when we mark this covenant with you, God. But at the same time, it's God saying, I am making a promise to you. And I want to seal this promise with a blood sacrifice. Verse 9 goes like this. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. This is, there's some clarity that comes here when we say he, they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. Now, there, there, there's, there's stuff happening, and we're starting to get some spiritual realm stuff happening here. And I think the key in this section from 9 to 11 is this understanding of, of reverence and awe and fear that might not get captured at first glance. But the, the one of the things we need to understand is that they see under his feet. And there's no more description than just being able to see basically the footstool of God. Their eyes were not able to kind of lift any higher than even just the footstool of God. But what a gift and man, what they saw, we'll, we'll talk, go into that a little bit uh, more deeply. But this is, um, maybe there's some kind of uh, dialogue about this maybe being a heavenly vision of God rather than a, a visual of Him. After the pattern of Isaiah, we see in Isaiah 6 or Ezekiel. Um, it's, uh, it's uh, you look at this line here, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, they did not lay his hand. Actually, that's a different translation. God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. So even though they saw, they saw God, but as we see, we see his, they, they see his footstool. That could have been 
this moment of like you see the face of God, you can't stand in the face of that kind of perfection and, and you could lose your life. But God did not raise his hands against these leaders. But to be clear, this was not a face-to-face encounter with God. They could see God, but there was no fellowship or communication between them and God yet. So they saw God. In, in reality, they saw, uh, excuse me, they saw the reality of God's presence. This was something concrete to them. They, could, they knew that they were in the presence of God. This wasn't just a feeling. This wasn't just, they knew they were in His presence. And I love this part here. And they ate and drank. God wanted them to eat and drink in His presence because He wanted to communicate with them a sense of fellowship. Yes, they should be afraid. They, they can't even look him in the eye. They, they can't. They, they would just, it would overwhelm them. They would lose their lives to be in the, in the presence of his perfection. But at the same time, in that moment of awe, he also wanted to bring in a sense of fellowship. And so they ate and drank together. I had never made this connection before, but there's a, a quote from Cole here. It says, the blue of the sapphire, so that's the lapis lazuli, may suggest that the elders saw the sea of glass before the throne of God. We can read this in Revelation 4, 6. Ezekiel 126 sees God is seated on a sapphire throne over a crystal firmament. That's verse 22. And the thought is taken up again in the book of Revelation. I, I honestly hadn't really thought about when they were seeing this footstool of God, that they were actually seeing into the, the throne room and seeing what, what, what we could see if we were in heaven with him, with the elders sitting around him saying, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But this is what they were seeing. They were seeing this glimpse of just even God's footstool. Verse 12 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and everyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So we see uh, three names mentioned. So we've got Joshua, We've got Aaron and her. Joshua was serving as more of an assistant at this time. Uh, because we've read farther and, and we know the outcome, we know that Joshua is Moses' successor as prophet of Israel, the leader of God's children. Joshua is trending well. He's doing his assistant duties well. We know he leads quite well. Aaron and her are sent back to the camp to oversee the camp, can manage the camp and settle any disputes while, while everybody's away. Well, if you read a little further, a few chapters further, you'll see that Aaron and Hur did not do a good job uh, while Moses and Joshua were away. They didn't do a good job of guarding the camp. Um, there's one more quote here from a fellow named Thomas. It says, Joshua accompanied Moses for a distance and there waited six days, a solemn reminder of God's unapproachableness. When Moses was called to a higher personal and private interview with God, which lasted nearly six weeks, 
I didn't really think about the fact that 40 days and 40 nights was like six weeks with God. And we can read about that in Deuteronomy 9 9. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to read this last section and just comment with one last little thing here. Verse 15 says, When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, uh, uh, went, up, went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, we're all too familiar with wildfires, and, and for the people of Israel at the base of the mountain, they look up, and it would have looked like the mountain was being consumed with fire and billowing smoke, thunder and lightning. And needless to say, this is not a very inviting atmosphere. But in that moment, in that environment, this environment that says to Moses, stay away, God actually is saying, come close to me. Where it looks like he's being rejected and pushed away, God is inviting him in. And this is this beautiful moment that uh, turns into an intimate time between him. And I, and I want to kind of share this last quote from Kaiser that really sets up the next few um, chapters and something we're going to focus on next week says this, when the glory of God settled on the mountain, the same word, sakan, is used as the Shekinah glory. So you can read this in John 1.14, the word tabernacling among us. The ancient Greek word for dwelt in John 1.14 sounds very much like the Hebrew sakan. This idea of tabernacling sets up the actual description and now the, 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 the prescription for the creation of the tabernacle which we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. And again, the whole purpose of the tabernacle, and this is kind of giving away the plot for the next few weeks, is God's next best attempt to be Emmanuel, God with us. He doesn't want to be separate from us. He wants to be with us. He wants to care for us. He wants to love us. He wants to know us. He wants us to know Him. All right. Church, let's stand and respond in worship, and then I'll finish with a blessing. I hadn't thought about it till now, but that song's a reminder. What, what on earth do we have in this exchange with God? What do we have to offer? Why does He love us? Why does He pursue us? Why does He want to tabernacle with us? He's got everything. He is everything. He needs nothing. There's nothing missing from him and his life in his sphere, in his world. And yet he chooses to tabernacle with us. He wants to pursue us and to be with us. I'm blessed by that. All right, let me bless you. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not really confident in this blessing. I've, I've written it and I wasn't thrilled with it. But let's, hopefully you'll receive it the way God <laughs> intends it. So here we go. I can barely read my writing too. It says, may you have the fresh faith of the recently freed Israelites, the fear and reverence as one who dares approach the King of Kings, and the joy and hope of knowing his love for you. Go with that. Be blessed. Um, thank you. All right. I feel affirmed. I feel affirmed. Okay, there you go. No, don't clap for that. I'll go right to my head. Uh, actually, have a quick seat, and um, I'm going to... Uh, give you some instructions for
how to go from here. And then I will finish in prayer because I don't want to totally derail the spiritual nature of what we've just done. Um, we have a chance again to be generous giving uh, towards our kids getting to camp. And you know what? I, I want to just kind of acknowledge that it's been a lot. We've, we've, there's been a lot of talk about giving, a lot of focus on this getting our kids to camp. And um, on one hand, I want to acknowledge that it's been a lot. On the other hand, I want to identify the fact that we really, this is one of those things where we want to put our money where our mouth is. We believe in what can happen at these camps. And no, it's not a magical formula where you pay your money and you get your salvation. That's not how this works. But just as we try to do every weekend, we want to create opportunities for encounters with the living God. And I'll tell you what, as a kid who did my full time in kids camp and youth camps, uh, there were some transformational moments, things I cling to today uh, that happened in my camp experiences. As your pastor, I want that for your kids. Mine are all old now, okay? But I want that for your kids. So today, when you're doing the auction, which will literally be 15 minutes, I'm not kidding about this, it ends at 1120, okay? Um, don't look to get a deal, right? Look to, look to overspend knowing that you're not only going to get something really, there's some cool stuff out there. You're not only going to get something cool, but you are going to be a blessing to a kid. Who knows the stories that are going to come out of this year's summer camp, all right? Similarly, we're going to pray for um, the meal that the seniors get to enjoy, and we want to bless you as well, because you've been a blessing to us. Uh, I could go on and on about that, but your bidding time is on. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're, we're not a fundraising organization by a long stretch. But um, the funding for this camp is a vehicle to intimacy towards you or with you. And so, Father, we're all for it. And so as we do our thing right now, as we give generously, Lord, I pray that, as Chris had mentioned, we would be cheerful givers, knowing that the reason we're doing it. That it's not about a financial transaction. It's not even about uh, giving money because that's the thing to do. It's about having the joy of participating in making this happen for these families and for these kids. So we pray your blessing on, on that whole thing. And Lord, we pray blessing on our seniors as they enjoy their lunch together. I pray that the, sh the stories that are, are shared will bring bonds, much like the kids going to camp will have, and that uh, their sharing of stories will be a, a blessing to each other and a blessing to us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, just like I pump fake the kids, you are dismissed. Oh, yes.
even even the ring box is really cool. You flip it open and there's like, wait a second, is this like shining? And there's like a little light that's shining on the, the stones that are all glowing. It's quite cool. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, not real diamonds, so don't try and steal it. Okay, bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us for our main service. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, or if you just want to talk to someone about what you've heard on this podcast, please email us at info at nrchurch.ca. We'd love to get to know you better. Until then, be safe and be blessed.